It's good to be together, isn't it? God's got a word for us today, and I'm so excited to gather as his body in freedom. Right, We take it for granted, but this is a gift that we have, isn't it? And I'm so thankful for the time that we live in. We have, it's so easy, even though we, we do have struggles, and that's why we're believing God to help us th through them. If you look at other times in history, right, or even other places in the world at this exact moment, God is um, ver being very gracious to us here, and we should be thankful and turn it in prayer for those that aren't uh, in uh, such a good position at this exact moment. Amen. So let's keep praying for what's going on in the world. Uh, and simultaneously, God cares about every little detail in your life, right? Right? It's not just what's going on in the world and then, you know, we're cast aside. Uh, it's hard, actually, to um, look past an issue that you might be dealing with internally, whether it's in your body, in your mind, right? And it's hard to see or even think past it, right, when you're going through something. So don't think that God doesn't care. God does. He cares about every little detail. Um, but there's this thing in our in our lives that we just don't understand, and it's called time, right? And God doesn't have time, but, but we do in this reality, right? You realize you're just living in a reality. This is not real, though. Everybody say, this isn't real. It's just a reality, right? That's why Paul calls it a tent. Say, I live in a tent, right? And God promises us new bodies. So I'm not lying. It's not me. This is not conspiracy theory here. <laughs> this is our word of God, right? Who believes you're going to get a new body, right? There's a new heaven and a new earth, amen, which means that uh, this temporary place was not God's design. His perfect design is coming, and we're, we're, we're actually already there in our spirit, but our body is just catching up, amen. So uh, that's, that's a mouthful there. That's, that's something you could chew on for the rest of the day, but that was from the Holy Spirit. I just want to uh, go a little bit deeper here. I wasn't sure if I was going to move on. Uh, in, in some ways, we are going to move on from David and Goliath, but I'm not going to fully move on. I want to touch on some things here. Uh, we spent the last th three weeks talking about David and Goliath because there was a lot that's happening in that little battle. If he was a superhero, we would call that his origin story, right? This is David's, like, moment where things are about to begin for him, and he's about to go on a journey that none of us really wants to go on, but we all must go through. Amen. Maybe we'll get into that. Uh, but I wanted to just touch on some couple of points that I've either touched on briefly, and I want to bring them to a fullness, um, or I'm going to and, and, and also bring us somewhere else. I want to start here. In the, in the book of 1 Samuel 17, that's where we find this story. I want you to look with me at verse 32. And the Bible says that David, he heard what Goliath was saying. He, he heard the taunts. And so he, he responds and he says in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I, I'll go fight him. What's he say? He said, he will fight him. He said, don't worry about him. I'll fight him. And the uh, Bible says in verse 34, 
David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said, and when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, uh, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth, and if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death, and I have done this to both lions, that's plural, and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. So David was very confident in uh, his ability uh, that God had given him. I want you to to understand this, that we've been pointing out that it really, what gave him such confidence and what this, this whole story really is about is about faith and doubt because it's not just that he was confident that he could do it, but he knew his abilities. He recognized that he had abilities, but he recognized that they were God-given and that God had been there with him, even though he was the one physically that you saw do it. If you were to watch it like a picture, right, you watch it like a movie, you would see David, but what you're not seeing is behind the scenes God is with him. And he testifies of this in verse 37, the Lord... So he says, I go, I'll go fight him, I take down the lion, I take down the bear, if they turn on me, I club them to death, I've been doing this, and I'll do it to this Philistine, verse 37, the Lord, right? Thank you, John, that's awesome. The Lord, he can't help it, his spirit is testifying of it, that's right. The Lord who rescued me, from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So I, 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 the Lord. Amen. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. But it's not I. It's the Lord. So he says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will. So I want to actually just look at this again. Because we've been looking at this and I just looked a little bit deeper Coming into this coming week, as I began to prepare for this week, I looked at these verses just a little bit deeper, and I saw something. I want you to say, the Lord who. All right, so it's the Lord who, he says, and he says, uh, and the Lord will. So the Lord who, he says, rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will. So the Lord who, as in the Lord who's been doing this all along, will do what he's been doing for me all along, right? The Lord who has never forsaken me so far will not forsake me today. Do you understand this? What he's testifying of is past tense, present tense, and future tense. And I said, uh, as we were having Bible study here on Tuesday, the hardest thing for us to do is that we actually have to, we have to realize that as Christians, you are viewing your life from the future in the past. <laughs> now, if this isn't a mind bender, I don't know what is. But you are actually in the future. Do you know that? How do I know that? I say it all the time like a broken record. Colossians 3 and Romans also says, where are you seated right now? Anybody want to testify? With Christ. I am seated with Christ. It says, why are you focused on things of this world? 
Why are you worried about this world when you died? Past tense, everybody say, that's past tense. Anybody here die yet? I haven't died yet, and yet my word says I did die. I'm living in time in this body, but when I surrendered to Christ, I died, right? Just as Jesus really died in the Garden of Gethsemane, not on the cross. He physically died on the cross, but he was already dead. When he, he was literally even had the, the evidence of the blood in the garden. When he said, thy will be done, it was already finished. As soon as he was fully surrendered and committed, he said, Lord, if there's another way, I think we would have asked it more than three times. We'd be asking it every second of every day. Lord, there's got to be another way. 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 And he shed blood right then and there. He was so stressed about the, you know, his body was physically stressed to its extreme. And so, obviously, he physically died, and so will we. And then he was physically resurrected, and so will we. But there is a death and its submission to the Father. That's the death that he's testifying of. That's the death we're talking about in Colossians 3, which means that if I've already died and I'm seated with Christ, that means that what the life that I'm living here now is actually past tense. But we're viewing it in a timeline that is linear. God is viewing it from above. And I heard such a good analogy about this, if you were to look at a parade and you were to stand on a curb and you were to watch it go by, it would look like it had a beginning and an end, wouldn't it? But if you were to watch it from a helicopter, right, and you were to see the entire thing at once, you can see the beginning from the end and it would be one singular thing. It's all one thing. At, it's all together. We're watching it as pieces, beginning, end, and moment by moment. I also have noted that when we're going through something, it's impossible for us to see time. I can, give you an, I can give you an analogy. I think the help of this makes sense. When you're getting a tooth drilled out by the dentist, time slows down, doesn't it? All right, it's only really a minute that they actually do the drilling, but somehow it feels like you are never getting out of that chair. It's just a minute. I don't know if it's the vibrations, if it's the high-pitched noises. I don't know what it is. You know, it's not intense pain because they've numbed you up, but somehow time has slowed, slowed down. Who has ever heard the term, time flies when you're having fun? Who has felt like when you're going through something tough, right, time just seems so slow, but then you go through a really busy season? How is it that if you're busy, time goes faster? But it's not actually faster. You realize time is ticking exactly the same. So what I'm trying to get you to understand here is that time is really in your mind. You guys are not believing me. The idea of time is in your mind. And what I'm trying to say is this. Your victory is right over there. Your answer is just in tomorrow. It's right there. Right? Who, here's another analogy I think you'll understand. Either you had a baby or you were waiting for a sister or, or you know, someone you know to, to have this baby. And every time you see them, it's like, man, are you ever going to have that baby? Right? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it seems like it's never going to happen. Then 
you blink and they are walking around with a 10-year-old, right, or a 39-year-old. Just like that. But in the, in the moment of time, you know, coming to that pinnacle, right, literally a pinnacle, it seems like time, you know, is, it's never going to happen. And no matter what you do, you know, you try to imagine what that child's going to be like, what they're going to talk like, and you can try to imagine what it's going to be like, things you might do or won't do together, right? But you just can't because you're over here, but the reality is, is that to God, he already sees you. You were fashioned in, his, in, in that mother's womb. You were fashioned, and there is a plan and a purpose that is laid out for your life. Now, you're not a robot. You're still making choices. You're still going through things and dealing with things and tr- deciding to trust with God or not. But do you understand that God has a plan laid out before you? God is seeing from the end to the beginning. God's looking backward, right? Just like when we see a prophet, you know, the prophet is not predicting what will happen. He's telling you what did happen in the future. You need to understand something. We are victorious in Christ. We are seated in Christ. Body, soul, mind, and spirit. Not just my spirit. I'm seated with Christ, present tense, in my body too. Which means when I'm... When you're struggling, when you're going through things, when you're dealing with things, what we need to do is stop and look at God and keep our eyes on him and know that I don't know what my victory is fully going to look like or feel like, but I know that it's already done in you. Jesus, here's another mind bender. Jesus forgave your sins 2,000 years ago. Before you even committed them, He forgave them, and yet our entrance to those forgiveness, for the forgiveness, is repentance. So here's here's a mind bender, ready? He already forgave them, which means it's not like he said, oh, uh, I'm going to put a little reserve over here, and any time that you repent, you can kind of go back in time and grab a hold of it. No, Jesus suspended time, and he looked from where he was on the cross all the way to the end of time and forgave all the sins that you didn't even commit yet then. And all you're doing is walking through the timeline, repenting of that sin and receiving what was already given to you. Amen. This making sense to anybody so far. I told you I was going to get deeper, didn't I? Anybody bored so far? So here's, here's the thing. Here's what David got. David didn't understand the details, but what he understood was this. It's hard for me to imagine my future, but what I can get is this. I can look to where God's been faithful and what that is supposed to do. The Bible calls them rocks of remembrance. Who knows that term, right? A rock of remembrance. And the Jews, what they would do is they would, they would do all kinds of little things to remember things. Even the curls that they grow, the little symbols, things they put above the doorpost. They did all these little things to remember. Everybody say to remember. That's what we do communion for is to remember. Now, when you remember, it's not just some special moment where we go, okay, thank you, and I remember. The remembering is supposed to be a springboard for you to believe him today. 
That was the point. It's not just a thank you for what he's done, but it's a thank you with confidence that he's going to keep doing it into my tomorrow. Literally, Jesus said it. I'm not just talking out of, you know, just talking out of some sort of weird uh, hypothetical, you know, some sort of cloud kind of high, you know, thinking here. This is the Jesus talked exactly like I am. He said, why are you worried about the things of this earth? I'm watching the sparrows. I'm the flowers of the field. They don't try. They just are. And I'm watching them and I'm taking care of them. James says, don't even plan what you're going to do next year because you don't know where you're going to be, what God's going to do. In other words, you just, we have to learn to trust God in such a way that we know that he has the next step. And, and this is kind of, this is the real truth about faith is that you are fully, you're stepping on nothing. I'm like, I mean, Peter was literally stepping on an impossibility when he walked on the water. You are stepping into uh, like true faith, like I don't know what it's going to be and I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm so confident in him that I'm not going to look at the situation. I'm not going to focus on this moment. I need to focus on the whole. All right, now I'm starting to make a little more sense, hopefully. I need to focus on the whole picture and not on this step that I can't understand or this moment that I can't understand bringing the teeth back. I need to focus on, I'm going to have this new tooth for the rest of my life, not these 10 seconds of pain. But your mind, you know, your mind starts short fusing and just can't, right? But that's what God wants us to think like. That's how he wants us to, to, to be. Uh, that's what you can go through all the, all the apostles, the way they wrote the things of this earth meaning nothing. Paul talking about having my eyes on heaven, my eyes on the prize. I'm running a race that you, no one else understands. Everybody's mocking them and abusing them, and he's, he's off in la-la land running a race as far as the world was concerned. But he knew exactly where he was heading. He's heading towards a finish line that God has designated. And if you looked at it day by day, you'd be like, man, Paul, he must be in sin because nothing ever goes right for the guy preaches one sermon he's put in prison remember they called him they said you must have been a sinner when he was bit by the serpent remember the story he must have been a sinner because he got bit by a snake he didn't even want to be there wasn't he wasn't paul's plan to be on that ship in fact if you do your study he wanted to be over in asia didn't even want to be in that country and here he is being bit, and he said, man, you must have been a sinner, but it was all part of God's plan, because you know what happens? He gets bit by the serpent. Come on, who knows the rest of the story? Someone says, oh my gosh, the guy didn't die. One person gets healed, and then the entire town, the whole village comes to him, and, and there's, there's a little revival happening on this island. Amen. And so the point is that that's really how David lived as well. What he understood is that the Lord who will. The Lord who will. I don't know what it's going to look like detail by detail, but I'm looking at my God. And so what that's doing is it's giving me a finish line, right? Remember learning how to drive? They told you don't look right in front of the car. You need to look, you know, hundreds of, really hundreds and several hundred feet in front of you to be a good driver. 
your mind is making little calculations of potholes and things like that right in front of you, but really your, your focus way out here, not right here, because you're traveling at a speed that if you were focused right here, you'd be there before you know it and you're looking here, you're right? Who knows that, right? All right? So this is, I'm not trying to be weird, I'm just saying common sense. We need to focus ahead. We need to try to learn to focus on the finish, not on the details in between. Who believes that God is going to fail you? Anybody here thinks that God's going to fail you? But your feelings are telling you that he fa he's failing you right now because you're in pain, you're in misery, you're hurting, you're suffering, you're struggling, whatever it is. So your feelings are lying to you. You're looking at the wrong picture. We need to look at Christ. And that's what nobody could do. That's why the Lord said, I want you to preach on this part again, just really focus on this again. This is just one blip of hopefully a couple of blips here because I, I just saw it even in a greater way after three weeks that, wow, I'm looking at the wrong picture. They're looking at Goliath. He was looking at Christ. They're looking at the battle. He was looking at his God. And it makes all the difference, doesn't it? You can't look at the person who's screaming at you. You need to look beyond them and see them saved and see them actually in glory with you in heaven. We used to joke, you know, about us arguing with even fellow Christians. You're like, you know, God's going to make that person your neighbor in heaven. So you might as well get over it now. Saul consented, may the Lord be with you. And so we know the story here. Saul gives him his own armor. David says, I can't go in these. And what I want to look at here is verse 40. I want to make another point. Now we're going to move on. Verse 40. The Bible says something very interesting here. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only the shepherd's staff and his sling, he started across the valley to the Philistine. In verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. Uh, he hurled it with a sling, hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. David goes over there and cuts off his head. Amen. I said it so quickly because we've been going over this for weeks. I want to make some points here. But something very interesting is happening here. It says he picked up five. Verse 40 says he picked up five. Everybody say five. How many giants were in the field? One, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Why did David pick out five stones when he only used one? Now, we could assume that David didn't know what the battle would bring, so he was, he was confident in God but he didn't know how the battle would go detail by detail, so he maybe just grabbed more than he needed and only used one. But when I read my Bible, the Bible has details for a reason. Everybody say there's details there for a reason. If David only used one stone to strike Goliath down, maybe the text would say something like, David went and picked up smooth stones. Right? And then he slung it, and the rest of the story would carry on. But why did it tell us specifically that he picked up five? Why list the number five? Now, I'm not the first person to point out 
the reasons I'm going to bring up next. But I believe that God had the writers uh, write down five on purpose because nothing's by accident, right? Who knows when you read through your word, you see the number seven. It means the number of God, right? God's got that there for a reason. That's not numerology, right? Who knows you can find the pattern of 12, right, through your Bible. All right, these are there for a reason. Uh, so God is not only the God... As I've been saying, and this is it, not of yesterday only, and not just of today, but also the God of tomorrow. God is a finishing God. And David wasn't just finishing a 40-day battle. David was finishing a 400-year battle. As we have expressed now throughout these three weeks that God had defined borders, God defines the borders within Christianity, just like God had defined the borders within Israel. And man begins to make up his own borders as he sees fit, right? We say, well, God said this, but it doesn't quite fit because I don't feel like dealing with this particular issue, so I'm going to just kind of stop here and kind of create my own idea of what God wants and my own version of Christianity. We have today, as of today, in, in the United States alone, we have over 35,000 denominations. I mean, denominations. 35,000. That's a lot. I understand we're not going to all agree on every single little thing. Again, there's, there was 12 tribes of Israel. They all carried their own flag. I get it. Not every single person is going to fit in every single group of people, I understand, but I think that 35,000 is a bit too much. And it's purely because what happens is people come up against something within the Word, like, remember this happened in our Bible, John chapter 6, what do you mean, eat your flesh and drink your blood? And the Bible says they turned away, right? Many disciples left them that day. They got up to a point that they just couldn't understand, and then they just leave. So then what happens is within Christianity is we say, well, I just don't like the idea of talking about sin so much. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a Starbucks in the entryway. And then what we're going to do is we're going to trick people that it's a, it's a shopping mall. We'll have a bookstore over here. We'll have cool secular music out here, have the Starbucks right here, and then we'll do a big giveaway, right? We're going to give people something for coming today, and they won't even know they're in a church, and just maybe a few of them would get saved. And so what happens is people begin to define God's borders in their own way, right? Who understands this? But God has a way. Everybody say, God has a way. What had happened 400 years ago was that they left some giants behind, and by leaving them behind, leaving details behind, by doing it their own way, the Bible says they were a thorn in their side for 400 years. They had been dealing with them all through this time. In fact, even David taking the initiative here, it's still going to take the rest of his lineage to fully strike down these Philistines specifically and these giants. But God finishes what he starts. I thought about this. This is an incredible thought. And this is why we need to get time out of our minds. I thought, you know, sometimes the enemy delays things, and sometimes we delay things. 
I can prove this because the Bible says that God, Daniel began to pray, and God gave him an answer. Who knows the story? The angel that came to him 21 days later said, the moment that you began to pray and fast, the answer was given, and I was sent on my way to you. But I got held up in the heavens in a, in a battle you couldn't even understand, something in the unseen. But I'm here today to give you what you asked for. So sometimes even the enemy delays the things of God. Who has delayed the things of God in your own life without the enemy's help? Delayed his blessing, delayed his best for you, etc., right? We fight God, we fight him. I don't know why we fight him, but we do. And it just makes things take longer than they need to. But this is what's incredible. You ready for this? One day God, though, fulfills his promises and he finishes what he started. And somehow... Even with the setbacks and the delays, he's right on time. How's that possible? Because I, the enemy was a direct delay, and man, he really messed some things up, caused all these setbacks in my life, financially, physically, spiritually. I did all these things, and then yet, when God comes through, isn't it incredible how it all seems to line up, though, at the perfect moment? Do you know the Israelites were in captivity uh, in Egypt for 400 years as well? The crazy thing is, is that God delivers them completely and fully, doesn't he, from Egypt and brings them into the promised land. But if I was the person living in like year 200, I wouldn't have experienced that, would I? All I would have experienced was slavery. Does that mean God wasn't faithful to me? That's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? Because he promised, I will deliver you. He said, I will deliver my people. But they never experienced it. Does that mean he wasn't faithful to them? This is where we need to get our minds. We need to separate. Your life here is so special to God because it's eternal, and you're going to be with him forever and ever. But your physical life here is much more like a cog in a giant machine. It's less important than who you really are, right? You were formed in your mother's womb. I knew you before anyone else knew you. Before your mother knew you, I knew you, which means you existed in fullness right there in your mother's womb. The moment of conception, God knew you. And he'll know us for eternity. And yet we're living this life out here on the earth we're only really on this earth in the state we are now for his purpose. That's the thing we need to understand. You know, sometimes when a life seems like it's robbed short, you know, when a soldier lays his life down for another, it seems like, man, he missed out on his entire life for all these people's lives. But something greater is happening here than death. Something that we can't even understand. It was that a person did what they needed to do, and this is beyond our understanding, beyond our thinking, right? But saved these lives. This person did a job that needed to be done. Now, we judge that with heartache and death and hurt. But God's looking from a different perspective, outside of life and death, outside of beginning and ends, outside of a timeline. He's seeing a person that was before and is after, and this in-between state, the Bible literally tells us it's just a vapor. This life you're living is so quick 
that it can only be measured like you can measure the fog, which means the things we do here, two things. One, they really matter because we have a tiny bit of time in, in the timeline to do them. And at the same time, it also means that it doesn't matter in the sense that we must be heavenly and focused on beyond this, this life, beyond this body, and be heaven-focused. Amen. Do we get this? And that's really what was happening here, was that God is finishing some things that weren't dealt with 400 years ago to be faithful to his people. God is faithful to his people. Amen. You know, the freedoms that we have here in this nation 400 years later, look at the numbers. This is very interesting. You go through, that's another number. You do your study, 400's in the Bible a lot. And 400 years ago, some people came here and said, I'm going uh, to go to this new land, and there's nothing there. There's no cities. There's no conveniences. There's no ease. And I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going I'm to go create a place for my ancestors to have a place that they can worship God in freedom. You know, that's what our Bible says. That's what our, that's what our history says. They were living by the Bible. You know, on the way to get here, half of them died. Half of them. In fact, I was, uh, uh, we were just watching some history with the kids uh, a couple months ago, and some of them even left little children behind because they couldn't do the journey across the ocean, but they knew that it was so important that they went to this new land because God had put it in their hearts. So they left their little children with other family and just went, men and women. Then they're here, right? We got this, 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 uh, this new land. They don't know how to survive, right? The Thanksgiving story comes into play, and, and the rest is history, right? But now here we are 400 years later. They paid a price forward for us. And it's because our life is much more than just God answering. This is the thing. This is what's so weird is that he cares about every little detail. He does, and yet... Some of the details that we think matter in this earth, when I say he cares about every detail, it doesn't mean that it's the details that we think matter, okay? It's the details that he thinks matters. And your life is much more about doing what God has asked you to do, to be the person that he's asked you to be, than fulfilling your dreams. We've taught society in this earth that it's go to school, what do you want to be, who do you want to be, what do you want to do? What is your dream? And then you try to fulfill that dream. That's your life. And then retire from your dream and live the dream. But my life on this earth is for God's purpose and for his glory. That's what my word says. It's well past the time for me to spend the next hour talking, proving that to you. But we are here for a purpose. And God's purpose in David that day was to stand up against Goliath. I wondered about this. Nobody else for 40 days would stand up, not even one other person. And we posed this question for the last three weeks. And then God just, I felt like the Lord just gave me an answer. Because only David was meant to do it. And I suddenly got something, a twofold revelation. Number one. Don't assume 
that you're not David. Don't assume that what needs to be done in front of you is not for you to do. Don't assume it's someone else's job. And number two, simultaneously, is that you can't be anybody but who you are. Everything that David was on that battlefield was what God had trained him in without even knowing it out in the pasture taking care of the sheep. All of us here have a plan and purpose, and I don't think you need to read a book on how to find it. I don't. I don't think you need to, to even pray to God, what is my purpose? I think what you need to do is do what the Bible says, because the Bible never says pray what your purpose is. What the Bible does say to do is to do everything as unto the Lord. And you know what I find when I read about every single pinnacle in your Bible? Come on, who knows the stories? We don't like reading all the stories because they come with a lot of heartache, but every single person who pleased God in the Bible, every single one of their journeys, if you were to look at it day by day and detail by detail, it looked like these guys had no idea what they were doing. God says, oh, Abraham, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to show it to you. You're going to take me where? Don't worry, I'll show you when you get there. Then he gets there, there's a drought. He ends up in Egypt, right? He's lying to Pharaoh that Sarah's his, his, his sister. Isaac ends up doing the same thing. Jacob, the Lord says, this is the guy. It's not Esau, it's Jacob. Now Jacob's over here working for Laban, wondering, is it ever going to happen? And so on and so on. Joseph, same thing, right? Joseph, the Lord gives him a dream, right? So he went to Bible school, and then he got really good at preaching, and then, you know, he became the pastor of Egypt. no right? His brothers betrayed him. He got hurt. He got deceived. He ended up getting put in slavery. He gets put in prison, but God had put gifts in him. He stayed faithful. He served his masters and served his leaders right where he was at the way that he could, trusted God somehow through that. The Bible says that his arms and his feet were hurt in the chains. They hurt me in the fetters, the old translations say, and yet he stayed faithful. And then the moment came where God raised him up and he had a plan and purpose for him all along because there was a future. There was a Goliath there was a, there was a plan and a purpose for David. There's a kingship. There are places that God has positioned for you in your future already. It's already finished and it's already done, but the stuff you got to go through in the meantime, you can't try to micromanage it or even understand it because if Joseph had tried to get himself out of that pit, he would have messed him, messed it up. If he had gotten himself out of slavery, he would have messed it all up. Sometimes the details and the stuff and the junk that you're going through is because God's trying to get you to a place of victory but you're looking at this moment right here he wants you to look at over here amen and so David really wasn't just taking down he wasn't just some brave guy taking down some big giant but God was using him and he was willing and you see this koinonia this partnership between heaven and earth like I talk about often this place where faith and action came together I trust you God I'm willing to do it I'll do it, but I know it's you. It's not me. It's you, but I'll stand and I'll do it. And so what happens is he takes down Goliath, but the five is not for no reason. It's because the Bible says that God finishes what he starts. The Bible says in Philippians 1 verse 6, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, the Bible says that there was giants in the land and it caused the entire 
civilization, a generation died because of their fear of them. Then God brings them in, and they still don't do what he wants them to do. That brings them into the whole time of judges. Now he raises up Saul. Saul's going to be the man. He's going to be the king. You want a king? You don't want judges? That's fine. That's your thing. You want that? Fine. We'll do it this way. Saul, he betrays God, and the Lord says, fine, that's it, enough. I'm going to go find a man after my own heart. A man who's humble, a man who will trust me, a man who will look to me, who will spend time with me in the private, who I can put my spirit into. And when I ask him to do something, he's not going to micromanage and try to figure it all out, but just going to stand there, and it's going to look like bravery to the world. But really, it's, it's fear in the natural, but his trust is in God, and he's going to do what I ask him to do, and he's going to finish. He's not going to just go part way. See, the real issue was, it's not just that God had asked him to do, and they had done it, but they never fully finished what God had asked him to do, and that's exactly what he does. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 13, verse 2, it says that there's a territory of the Philistines. The Bible says that there are the regions of the Philistines, the Geshurites, verse Joshua 13, 2 into 3. It includes the five, everybody say five, Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. See, Joshua, he went so far, and then the Bible says that he had taken the, the region of the giants, but he left this region untouched. And then God says, why did you do that? This is all review, right? But I, this needs to be preached again. Everybody okay? And the Lord says, why would you do that? Now they're going to be a thorn in your side. So the Lord raises up a man after his own heart. Goliath is just the beginning. Everybody say, Goliath is just the beginning. Right? That's his origin story. That's not the end of his story. The Lord's going to raise up a king here. And so many Christians, we struggle because we stand and we stare at Goliath our entire lives. But the Lord's got a whole plan and purpose beyond us. We need to stop looking at these details and trust God and just keep facing it one day at a time. And we're going to turn around and see an entire plan that has been laid out before us. You don't need to pray and ask God the plan and purpose for your life. You just need to start walking in it. Amen. And the Bible says here that they left five territories. Well, that's interesting because Goliath came from one of the five, Gath. And so Gath, the giant there, was taken down. Well, the Bible also says in 2 Samuel 21, verse 15, once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel, and when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted, and Ishbi Banab was a descendant of the giants. So there's more than one giant. It's not just Goliath, and it talks about how big he was, how heavy his stuff is here, and he he cornered David, was about to kill him, but Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue, and he killed the Philistine, verse 17. Then David's men declared, you're not going out to battle with us again, but verse 18, there was another battle, and the Philistines at Gob, and as they fought, uh, Sibachai from Hushai killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Alhanan, son of Jer from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. And then the Bible says, verse 20, in another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But, when he, but he defied and taunted Israel, and he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shimea. Verse 22, these four, everybody say four, everybody say five, minus one equals four. 
He took five stones, put them in his bag, because God's going to finish something, and he needed a man after his own heart to do it. Somebody who will just go through the journey day after day. If you really look at the details here, they weren't really out searching for the giants. They're just trusting God, walking into the territory that he asked them to do. This is what I want you to do. This is the land I want you to walk in. This is the person that's in your way, and I want you to take care of it. And they were unwilling to do that. They're making all these bribes and deals in better ways than God, thinking better than God throughout the story. You do your own research. And finally, here they are. There's no more tolerance. Take them down. And the Bible says that he took one stone out and killed Goliath, and the other four there prophetically that God was going to finish what he started here, what was never done. And finally, 400 years ago, 400 years later, God raises up a man who's going to raise up other men. David doesn't ever kill another giant, but he raised up men. What's that look like? That looks exactly like the one who came in the seed of David, my Jesus. Jesus killed the giant, and then the Bible says, I'm going to give you my name. And the Bible says they went out and they did the works like he did. Amen. So David went out. Finally, God had a man who wasn't about himself. See, Saul was all about his ego and all about himself and worried about himself, and, and that was his, his real downfall. Uh, he was jealous of David. David was a man who took the, the worthless, he took the scum of the earth, and uh, and, and really, then they even try to kill him, just like Jesus, uh, right before Ziklag. And the Bible says that uh, you look at the parallels between the two of David and Jesus. David takes these men and he pours something into their hearts, encourages them to do what they could never do. Suddenly, now they're killing giants all through. These guys are all killing giants. And the Bible tells us right then and there. In this prophetic picture, just like Jesus raised up the disciples, just like he raises us up and he empowers us, gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us what he did and calls us to do what he has done to be also be giant slayers here in the earth, to stand the ground that he's given us, to walk in the place that he's given us, to do the same. It's not just to look at Jesus on the cross. I'm not taking that away from him. Amen. Everybody get that. I'm not taking his authority. I'm taking his name and saying I'm the same as him. But the Bible says that he commissioned us on this earth. He gave us a plan, gave us a purpose. It's not just to be wealthy. It's not just to be good-looking and successful and have your face on a magazine. It's so that I have a plan and a purpose in you. I'm putting my name in you, and there's some more giants in this land, and I'm giving you the job to do that. You're going to have to take them down. Don't worry. I'll be with you. I won't fail you. I'm not going to forsake you, but they have to come down because if they don't, they're going to continue to taunt. That's what happens, and the Bible says at this moment, you never hear about a giant ever again. This was the last of the giants. Finally, those five, it was taken care of, and it was finished then and there. Amen. And that's what the Lord's going to do with us. All right. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. I had to get that out. I wasn't letting the clock beat me today. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for podcasts to listen to it again. Lord Jesus, and actually understand it. Lord, we just thank you and praise you that your word is life. It's a sword. And we just speak your word, Lord God, into this church and into this nation, into this land. Lord God, we speak the word of life. I thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that as we testify of your word, Lord, we're encouraging ourselves. We're growing. Lord, we're being shaped in your image. And Lord, your word says that it's shining a light into our path. Lord, your word is leading us. We're just trusting you, and you're taking us where 
you want us to go. Not what looks good, but Lord God, where we need to be. And I just thank you and praise you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.